as we um, start the series on on First Thessalonians, one of the things is, as Leonard was talking <clears throat> and even praying, was it came to mind is uh, just the exhortation in in the scriptures to to make the um, the life of those who serve you in leadership a joy and not a burden. And, you know, it's easy to see our faults and our sins as church, and as we go through First Thessalonians, we certainly don't want to be saying, well, aren't we glad we're not like other churches who do wrong things, because we certainly have our own sins. But it is a great testimony to hear from um, Leonard and his family the way that they feel loved and served during this uh, most awful of times in anybody's lives. Uh because, you know, I, I'm privy to a lot of what a lot of elders go through in the church, and this is not a common experience. It is not at all common uh, for even elders and pastors to get along as well as uh, our session does, much less for the pastor and his family to feel so close and connected to the congregation. So it is really It is really to your to your praise that you have been so so good to them. And so, as we open up uh, the uh, the chapter today, uh, first chapter of Thessalonians, and please stand and let us consider what the what the Word of God says to a, a church. First Thessalonians chapter one reads: Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace. We give thanks to God always for you, for for always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you, because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. You know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake, and you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example of all the believers in Macedonia and in Achaia. For not only has the word of the Lord sounded, sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere, so that, that we need not say anything. For they themselves report concerning, um, concerning us the kind of reception we had among you, and how you turned to God from, from idols to serve the living and true God, and to wait for the Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who deliver us, delivers us from, from the wrath to come. Please be seated. Now, in order to get some context on, on Thessalonians, uh, this, this church, uh, you, have to kind of, you have to go well, really back to Acts chapter 16, where Paul receives a vision that, you know, he's, he's to, he needs to go into Macedonia to preach the world, word. And um, the first town he go he enters when he goes to Macedonia is actually uh, Philippi, where he meets Lydia, um, 
and they become a church is, is established there. Actually, he's thrown in jail, and that's where he's he and Silas are re- released from jail, and then they end up making their way up to Thessalonica, and um, there they preach for a while, which was Paul's um, conviction to go to the Jew first and then to the Gentile to bring the gospel. And when the Jews reject him, he goes to the Gentiles, but then. Um, the synagogue and others uh, raise up what they say are worthless men, like basically kind of like, I don't know, thugs, people that are kind of, um, I don't I, I, they, they're just easy, easy to deceive and to work up into a frenzy. And so they come up and they have a report to the city that these men are turning the, the, the world upside down and that they're, 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 um, you know, calling upon the overthrow of the king, turning it into this political thing. And so um, they, they bring Jason forward, um, one of the new believers, and they basically hold him like some, almost like a deposit to say, hey, if these, these people uh, keep doing this, you're going to have to surrender all this money. And so Paul and others leave that city because of the, the, the trouble that's there, and they make their way to Berea and, and uh, in, uh, eventually to Athens. But one of the things about this this city is really interesting that it's actually named after the sister of Alexander the Great. Her husband was one of his generals, and after his death, they established what is still today one of the second most populous cities in Greece. It's uh, located in a really nice port area. It was on a a road um, that was that uh, this main thoroughfare that went to Rome, and so you could get from Rome to Thessalonica in a pretty short period of time uh, because the roads were so good, the communication networks were good. But it's a it's it's a very prestigious city, and because it was kind of the seat in that area of where Alexander the Great was, the Romans had a lot of even um, kind of respect for the Macedonians and for the uh, that empire that had come, you know, centuries before, and, and, and they conquered it, obviously. And uh, but, but because of political circumstances, uh, Thessalonica ended up uh, siding with Octavian against Anthony during that uh, period of time when Octavian and Anthony were vying for control of the Roman Empire after Julius Caesar's death. And because of that, Octavian granted Thessalonica this status as a free city, and it meant that you didn't have direct Roman government over it in terms of a Roman governor come in. You got, they got to, to rule their area with, with kind of uh, polytarchs, like multiple people that ruled over this city. And so with that, it included a whole religious system, a whole, you know, like— um, you know, really tied together both the cult in terms of how they practice things as well as the the civic a- a- aspects of who you're worshiping. And so the report that they're talking about the overthrow of a king as these Thessalonians are turning away from their idolatry to this King Jesus, who we understand is a little bit different than what they're thinking. It's very easy in one sense to understand how what the Christians are doing is viewed as a political thing on this plane, even though it has more to do with what they're being freed from in terms of being freed from spiritual death and bondage. But the point is, it goes to show how much the Thessalonians had to give up in order to become a, um, a Christian and on top of that, the time that Paul had to spend in Thessalonica was literally three weeks. 
That's it. That's before they were cast out. And I was thinking about that today, um, early this morning as I was running. I was thinking, man, three weeks. That's like, think about three weeks ago if, if Leonard had just started the ministry here and we're all hearing about Christianity for the first time. He's run out of Stafford because Stafford's like, you're turning the world upside down and you're claiming a new king. And he's like, okay. And then he's like wondering, what happened to the church in Stafford? And then he, so he sent, so Paul sends Timothy down, back down to Thessalonica. And this is really kind of the, the, um, a letter that's to not only establish them, but also this report back from Timothy that it took hold, right? That's amazing that after three weeks, the church there is taking hold and not in, in bearing fruit. And so he, he starts with a greeting from the three authors of this letter being Paul, uh, Timothy, and Silvanus, another word for Silas. And um, he talks about basically to the church of Thessalonica, which is in God the Father and in Christ. He, he, he talks about the importance that this church itself established in this, in this predominant city is ultimately in Christ Jesus, belongs to God the Father and is in Christ. And then he gives a greeting, which is grace and peace. Grace, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, a very short uh, greeting, um, charis and erine in the Greek, but it expresses not that the fact that we who were once dead in sins and trespasses receive this grace to not only bring us from death to life, but also this sustaining power of being united to Christ and this grace that we do everything, that we understand everything in the Christian faith through this. We're animated to be able to, to do the good works. We're, we, we, we're able to repent and believe. We're able to grow in, um, in godliness through the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. And this ultimately brings peace, not only peace with God, which is our ultimate, ultimate issue, which is hard for many people to, to really understand that they are at enmity with God. And when they have spiritual eyes to see that, they can see that everything that we see around us that is kind of not um, going the way it ought to ultimately stems from this hostility um, of the curse to the things of God. And so when we're set free from that, it, it enables us to see not only that we are personally at um, no longer an enmity with God, but we're his children, but then it also allows us to go out into the community for those who are still at enmity with God, but still consider them to be our neighbors, those created in the image of God, those able to serve them in love and service without, um, without a sense that we're doing it just to be able to, um, uh, to earn something from God, but merely because we understand that we've been redeemed from, from death to life, and so we can now go out into the world with hope and love to our neighbors around us, whether or not they ever embrace the gospel. But of course, our hope and our, and our desires for everybody to be able to receive this grace, but we still serve mankind, we still serve our fellow um, humanity because of that, and we bring the Lord's peace in one sense, not only through the work that we do to bring people to a saving knowledge of Christ through the fact that they ask us, what is this hope within us, but also kind of at least, um, not necessarily, we, we're never going to completely redeem the creation that's under a curse by the things we do, but we do at least make things better than they would be if we weren't there as salt and light in a world, if there wasn't um, God's um, uh, 
through his spirit, even as common grace among mankind and the kindness that Christians who love other people would bring into the world. And so we bring a sense of God's peace even to the world around us. Um, He continues in verse 2, he says, We give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers, um, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and the steadfastness of your hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has, he has chosen you because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. You know what kind of men we prove to be among you for your sake. Now, one of the things I like about this is the constant thanks he gives for them. And I, I often, um, I'm often challenged by this. It's a good exhortation in the scriptures to be mindful of the fact that um, being constant in prayer doesn't mean that you're kind of constantly rocking back and forth, um, you know, just kind of like praying all the time. But it is a consistency in the opportunity that we have to be, um, to use certain seasons, at least maybe in the morning and other times, that we would set aside time for prayer and to be thinking of things that uh, we need to be interceding for others, but even throughout the day, as they're called to mind, to be to be praying to God, to be constant, to be consistent in that, and be remembering of those who are either suffering or those who just need encouragement or even just the work of God. And so he's in constant prayer, both thanking um, and praying that they would be established in the faith. And he is, he's, um, he's, Thank you for their. He's thankful for their labor of love and faith because he knows that he's he's con, he's concerned as he left that that this hadn't taken root and now he sees the fruit of this. He's not thankful that they kind of like um, figured it out within themselves and just kind of pulled themselves up by their spiritual bootstraps and said, "I'm going to I'm going to show love and faith to people," and they're just like and I did it. He's thankful that it was God that worked that in them because he knows that all he had a chance to do was spread some seeds and do a little bit of watering, and then he's, he's concerned because he had to leave and then send, send others back to, to help establish that. And so he's just so grateful to hear that this, is, this, um, this, this happened because the gospel came not only in word, but in the power of the Holy Spirit. And now, I don't want to downplay the fact that the word's important here. In fact, one of the, one of the things that I was just listening to this yesterday, um, I don't know what it is. Maybe it's just that I'm not a millennial, and apologies to millennials, but uh, I was even thinking about this today, that I, I listen to theological conversations where people aren't just willing to say, yeah, that's a really dumb idea anymore. They're like hey, I'm hearing what you're saying, and I, I want to affirm what you're saying. And in the past, you'd be like, no, that's just not right. You know, sorry. And apologies to anybody who thinks that you should always be kind, but I was listening to these two, um, this theological conversation on this apologetic show yesterday, and one of these guys was just like, oh, he had an experience through, through you know, taking mushrooms, and then he's like, he understands what Jesus is really about from you know, this, this transcendent experience and all this stuff about the things that the church has been saying, they missed it. And it's like, well, how does the guy know it? He said, well, I experienced it. And I'm like thinking, 
I, you know, the only word I could come up with was, was like theological dilettante, you know, just kind of like somebody who's just like, why is he even on this show? He's just, he's just like a theological airhead or something like that. It's like, I have these feelings inside and, and the words mean nothing to some people like, well, there's words on a page and then there's what I feel, right? And, and I don't want to, to um, make you think that what you, what you know in what you what you're affectionate towards, what animates you as unimportant. But see, the Word of God is more than just this flat thing, this flat surface thing that, that, um, that sits there. And, you know, that's one thing, but then my spiritual experience is another. What the Word of God is, the Word of God is, is breathed out by God. This is what Paul himself and even uh, Peter says the word is breathed out by God, but then ultimately it is the Holy Spirit that makes application that actually animates people to be able to do something with it. So the two have to go together, but it's not just one against the other. It's not like, well, there's the word over here, but then if you really want the next experience, then you have the Holy Spirit. It's like in somebody saying, well, the word of God says this, but God told me this. It's not that the two are that the two have to go together, and the word is really important. And I'm, I'm kind of struggling with this right now, not in the sense that I don't believe this, but as I'm trying to articulate this to people that I know very closely in my life, um, people that are going through <clears throat> some things right now um, in our extended family, trying to communicate my hope in the gospel to people. And if you've ever done that, do you ever feel like the words you say almost seem inadequate to do anything. You're like trying to describe to say, uh, we, we can talk about this confidence that we know that we were dead in sins and trespasses and that we, because of that, we were, we were by nature objects of God's wrath and that Christ has set us free from the wrath to come. And then, and then you're thinking, that's amazingly good news because you, you kind of live in this life of understanding these things, and these are words that the Scriptures testify. And because the Word with the Spirit has brought us from death to life, that makes sense. It, 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 it penetrates. It causes our hearts to become from, stones of, uh, from hearts of stone to hearts of flesh, and it makes sense. Our minds understand it, not only just in the words that are being said, but it makes complete sense. It's not just like as somebody who once told me, well, you believe that, and there's a lot of people that believe a lot of other things. You guys ever run into that? And you're saying, well, they're just, if, if they're just words, then that would be true, right? But they, they're more than just words. And so it is the power of God unto salvation. And the, things, the thing that I'm doing right now, and the reason we pray for it, is not because um, I'm particularly persuasive, though I can be pretty persuasive, but ultimately it's got to be the Holy Spirit that's going to penetrate and, and, and do something to the person to hear that. And that's why we have this confidence when we pray. We keep saying the same things, right? We keep talking about what the Word of God says, which in one sense Paul says, it's going to be foolishness to some. It's going to be a rock of offense. And he's just going to keep doing the same thing and doing the same thing. And, and the confidence is not in saying, well, that didn't work. I told it to Ron, and he didn't get it. So I'm going to try a different word of God around him and say, no, he got that. That makes sense to him. And so let's work that for him and for somebody else. Sorry to pick on you, Ron, but I was like,
thinking of somebody. But um, no, we have the same message in it, the Word of God. We have to have confidence in this Word of power that comes and changes people's lives through the power of the Holy Spirit. And, um, and, and, and he also thinks, the thing that I like about this too is that he, he, um, he, he, he tells them that you know what kind of men we were among you for your sake, okay? We, you can testify about the kind of men we were, which goes to show how important it is that our conduct and our lives kind of match up to those things. Now, that, what that means is that we don't, we don't ultimately, uh, our, our, our life is not animated first and foremost by saying, well, I, I'm really concerned about how others view me as a Christian, so therefore I'm going to become a good person. But what we say is we say, because I belong to Christ, I long to be this, and, and then this, this maturity happens through the power of the Holy Spirit, and so it kind of becomes part of a, a, a maturing process, and we see that, and that's what we desire for all of us is to grow into maturity, and so that men and women are becoming kind of pillars or examples in the church, not in the sense that we're just saying, hey, we're going to put you in charge of a bunch of things, but in the sense that you can say, Look at how that person um, follows Christ, the way that they serve, the way that they love. Um, you know, we were, uh, we were talking about that today, that um, as I was praying with the worship team, that, that love is expressed often by the things that we're willing to do that are, are very mundane and sacrificial. Um, even just all the time yesterday spent in getting things ready and getting putting things together and all the work that goes into that. And, you know, the, the thing that you could be doing other things, but you give priority to that. And so it's a testimony to it. And it's for, for others' sake. Now, what's really interesting about this, too, is that... Um, philosophers in that time are speakers, and Paul is often saying, like, yeah, I'm not one of those fancy philosophers, and, and you're thinking, well, what's that about? Well, philosophers were like a big deal. Like, if, if people knew a philosopher was going to be in town, it'd be sort of like you put a placard up, and people are like, the philosopher's in town, and you're thinking, man, people back then much, must have had really boring existences if they're, like, getting really excited. If I said, hey, by the way, kids, guess what? Next week, a philosopher is in town, and they turn to their mom and like, can that really be true? Philosophers come into town. And the kids are like, what's a philosopher? But, but, but everybody here is like, everybody's here like, yeah, philosophers. Okay, so if I told you like this really great philosopher is going to be in um, Stafford next week, he'd be like, oh, that's interesting. But back then we'd be like, hey, you know, roll out the carpet, you know, and everybody, dun, 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 dun. and then there's a big thing that the philosopher comes in town and everybody's like excited to see him. And then, and then, but Paul's like, no, we just, we came for you. We didn't come so that there would be a fanfare, fanfare, a carpet rolled out and everything else. We came for your sake. And this is what the gospel um, impels people to do, to be able to, as we heard last week with um, John and Olia, um, going to Ukraine, back to Ukraine in, in, in light of all the things that are going on in there because for, for the people, for, for, for the fact that God has said, I have, I have people in this city that belong to me. And that's the confidence. That's the confidence that we have that we continue to do this because we know that, we know that there are people here that God has, has chosen for himself and that we have this this confidence that he's going to 
do work in their lives. And this is ultimately what he's talking about here, that he, these, are, these are the people that God has chosen. And this is what, God, this is what Paul himself refers to as, as to the Thessalonians, that you are chosen and beloved. And you, you are chosen and beloved. And this is, this is why God um, sends uh, preachers out. This is why he establishes churches so that he can gather in those whom he loves, those whom he desires to build up. And then there's a multiplying effect in that so that, you know, all of God's people are gathered in and all of these things are done ultimately for your sake. And um, that means that as we become those that had, who's, who, who had others concerned to say, because I love your people, I'm going to do this. And ultimately, that love ends up impelling us to continue to multiply and do more and more as we see more and, pe- more, and more people gathered into God's church. So as we continue then, in verse 6, it says, And you became, became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction with, with um, the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, uh, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere, so that we need not say anything. For they themselves report concerning, uh, they, they, they themselves report concerning us the kind of, re- of reception we had among you, and know you turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God, and to wait for his Son from, from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. What I like about this first is the fact that they became imitators of Paul and Silas and Timothy, you know, sometimes we, we're really concerned to say, like in, in, in some ways I think we're, we're increasingly embarrassed to say anything good about anybody in the church. It's almost like the only thing we can ever talk about the church is this imagination that everything was done wrong in the past and that everything was toxic, everything was, was wrong. They just didn't know. I heard somebody talking last week about these missionaries and how they're, you know, almost like the first people that ever built hospitals or schools for people. And it's like thinking, are you like crazy? I mean, have you read what missionaries have done for centuries to, to bring hospitals and schools and everything like for centuries now? But people almost have this amnesia as if they're the first ones that have ever done good things. But the point is, is that we, we can almost become embarrassed by the fact that others would imitate us, right? Why would you imitate me? All we ever talk about is the fact that, well, we're, you know, like people are bad, they're just sinners and that sort of thing. But God produces saints, right? Yes, we're still sinners, and I don't want to uh, denigrate that. We're not trying to c- become this one thing, where the, the kind of a Roman Catholic scheme where we pretend as if the sin within us isn't real and that you know, unless we act on it, it's not really sin. We believe that we're still sinners and that Christ is working on us, but Christ is working on us. And it's appropriate that we would become the kind of people that would be imitated as we grow. And actually, in one sense, that's a little frightening for me because my kids see that there's a lot of stuff that I don't want them to imitate me in. 
And I wonder to myself, am I worthy of imitation? I, am I, are there things about me that I want others to imitate? And it really is a challenge for an elder or anybody who is being looked to to say, man, I, I want to have the kind of thing that I want others to imitate. You know, um, and, and we want to be the kind of people to say, I want to imitate. You know, like Leonard, he's worthy of imitation in the way that he cares for people. You know, and that's one of the things that, that Sonia and others have talked about, how we miss his preaching, and, and, um, and, and you need time off, so I'm not trying to make you feel guilty about it. You know? But um, it, is, it is one of those things that as he's, as he's taking time off, you realize uh, you see in there a heart, uh, a loving heart that comes out and is worthy of imitation, and I think if you talk to Leonard, he'd be probably the first one, because I know he'd probably feel like me saying, yeah, I'm not sure if I'm worthy of invitation. But then you, you, you have an assessment of where you see the Lord at work sometimes, where we don't see that. But this is one of the things that we want to be, we want to be imitating others and, in Christ, and Christ because he's working, uh, working love in them. And, and the fact is, is that the Thessalonians then had to receive um, the word of God in joy in the midst of affliction because the Holy Spirit had convinced them of this. This is, this is really the amazing thing about the gospel. Um, it really, when, when you stop and think about it, it really does, you, you, you increasingly understand, especially in this culture, Christianity does not make a lot of sense unless you are born again and you can see with eyes as to what you know, reality is really like, like the veil comes down as you're brought from death to life and you understand that the things that people are chasing are really kind of sad. And instead of being angry and having sort of a, a self-righteous uh, outlook, because you can actually be not born again and have a self-righteous outlook and only see the idea of it's the good people over here and the bad people over here. And you see them as just really bad and, and, and yourself as really good. But when you see with, with the eyes of faith to see that we were all dead in sins and trespasses and there's, there's the only difference between us and them is, is the word of God and of the Holy Spirit to bring us from death to life. And so then now we can kind of see, they suddenly see, wow, we were following worthless idols that were only going to bring condemnation. They were only bringing bondage and death. And so they're willing to be joyful in their affliction because they know that the people who are attacking them for what seem to be political aims are actually don't understand what they're actually about. Um, there's a, uh, a book called Dominion that um, a, a scholar wrote recently that really tracks sort of the, the Christian faith and how it developed and really actually, and, and actually is sort of so embedded in Western culture that people don't completely take it for granted. But one of the things in the early church uh, that he reports is these people that are being um, imprisoned and sort of interrogated by um, Romans saying, you know, what, what ethnic group do you belong to or what tribe are you from? And they keep saying, I'm a Christian. And they're like, no, you don't understand. Where, what, what, who are your people? And they keep saying they're a Christian. It's like, these people are idiots. I'm like, I'm asking. It's like, no, I didn't ask you what, what God you worship. And so, but, but, but Peter says, we are a holy nation, a people set apart. And there's this weird thing about Christians that transforms 
the way that we see reality. And so we, we do these things with joy in the midst of affliction. And, and, and what's, what I really like about this is the fact that they, they in this short time, suddenly have become an example to people in the region. It's like, have you heard about the Thessalonians? Man, they, they've turned, they, they're, they're like Christians. They're doing all these amazing things. They're loving and showing faith. They, they receive the word of God from Paul. This is amazing. It's three, and so Paul's like, I don't, I don't even need to tell them about it. They know about what you've done. And he's so excited about this because he thought maybe he had started a work and it had fallen apart, but then he's saying, man, this is what God has done. He's established these people and the, and the word has gone out, the, the testimony of that. And to, to have a reputation of faith is awesome. And, you know, we, we don't necessarily need to feel bad. It's like, well, you know, it took us 14 years. What's wrong with us? You know, But it is nice to have a reputation, you know, in even if it's not like everybody in the community is talking about it, because, you know, Christianity is a little bit more mainstream than it used to be than, you know, uh, a few people gathering. But to have a reputation for, um, you know, being those who love one another well and, and in spite of our own um, our own problems that we all know about, it, well, we don't all know about, but you know what I'm saying, we all know our own um, failings and the things that we wish that we could do better. But the point is, is it's great to have a reputation and what a testimony of the, of the word of God's work in their lives to change them so that they have this. And that the fact that they, they, um, received, they received this word and they turned from dead idols to the living God. Um, is is just not a small thing. Uh, we think that, you know. I guess maybe it's maybe it seems obvious to us that, um, well, of course, you're like who would still worship idols anymore? It's like it's so silly that people did this. But you know, when you peel it back, it's like people didn't really think of stuff like, and we 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 we're much more like them than we would like to admit in terms of just having these things that we serve. A lot of these, a lot of these dis- decisions to worship gods were very transactional, right? It was more like, well, this is what everybody does, and so if you're into, you know, something, then you're going to worship that god. In fact, in Thessalonica, as well as others, uh, Aphrodite was a very popular goddess because she was the goddess of love, and we're not talking about like um, the kind of love that service. We're talking about the kind of love that means that you get to go to this, you know, temple and do whatever you want kind of thing. So imagine that as a, a as a god or other kinds of things. You know, you worship this god um, uh, of wine because you just want to get drunk all the time. And so they have all these, they have all these gods that basically allow you to do whatever your heart desires. And the reality is that we have we have our own, we, we who would be dead in sins and trespasses or even the culture has certain idols and we have to struggle with those idols ourselves. And, and we're not talking about um, just trying to turn, you know, everything per se into, you know, uh, some sort of demonic power. But the point is, is that whatever we, whatever we cast our affection on or whatever we put our, our trust in all the time, whatever's kind of occupying our thoughts, Whatever the culture is telling us, this is the most important thing, whether it be that you need to completely express yourself fully all the time, that you're only authentic if, you're, if, if, if deep down in your heart, you're, to your own heart be true, 
um, we have idols that, that destroy us and destroy those around us, and it is the Word of God that frees us from, from dead idols, things that can't do anything to serve the living God who is worthy of worship, who is worthy of, of um, our affection, worthy of our worship, and he is living, unlike the idols that we serve that can't do anything other than, you know, um, serve our imagination. I mean, I, it is interesting, as in, and in some ways you could, it'd be really easy to be mocking and um, despising of others who believe differently. But I remember this one conversation with somebody who was an unbeliever saying, you know, when I, as I was laying out this stuff saying, well, the Word of God says this, and I believe this, and all this other stuff, and and then, and then the response was, well, that's kind of gobbledygook to me, and I, I believe that what this other kind of Christian liberal is saying is probably true. And I'm like thinking, this is kind of weird because this guy who did this, or these, these other people that don't believe, are just making stuff up in their head about God. Well, I imagine God is really like this. And it's like, well, but... I have the Word of God, and that's been around for thousands of years. And, I mean, you, we, you and I can talk if you want to have confidence that the Word of God that we have has been in our existence in, in, in like a transmission where we have full confidence that what Paul wrote down and others wrote down is within, like, decades of when it was actually recorded, as opposed to just making stuff up about God. We're not just making things up. We actually have full confidence in a living God who speaks, not that we have to put into a temple somewhere and then make sure he gets fed or leaves food out and says, hey, did you enjoy that rice that we left out for you? And it's like, God doesn't need any of that. He's the living God. He's the reason we can speak. And we have been set free from all these crazy things, all these uh, really strange and um, and and when you look at it, kind of cosmically uh, foolish things that we did, and we've been set free from that to serve the living God, and this is this is a source of joy. And then, and then also that ultimately that they wait for the Son from heaven, who was raised from the dead, to save us from the wrath to come. And this is our confidence. This is our confidence, and in in not in a not in this this. Uh, it's not a set of, of propositions, not a thing, this happened, then this happened, then this happened, and so uh, if you believe these three things and you got a check mark on it, then God says, good job, you got a passing grade, I'm going to free you from the wrath to come. It is much more powerful than that because the things that happen are not mere propositions, but they're, they're historical events. They're things that happen like creation was and is under the curse of God. And it wasn't just left there to rot, but God in his grace sent his son because he loved the world. He loved the world that whosoever believes him should not perish but have everlasting life. And what that meant was the son not saying, saying to the father, I'm not sure I want to do this, willingly along with the father and the spirit, willingly doing this to send the son to be able to um, take upon himself the wrath that was deserved by others, the wrath and curse that was deserved by others. And so with him, that wrath and curse died. It was judged. It was put to death in the son. So it says, this is the wrath and curse I deserve. And the son says, no, I love that one. I'm taking that 
and I'm going to die for that, and I'm going to then, because death could not hold him, he's raised again. And then he ascends on high, and he's interceding for you that you would believe upon the work that he's happened, that he did upon the cross and his resurrection so that as you believe, you lay hold of that power so that all of your sin, all of your guilt, all of the, 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 the power of sin to enslave is judged in Christ, is already in and put to death. And you're in him and you're raised in newness of life so that you are no longer a slave to sin. You are no longer under, under the curse. And this is the confidence that Christians have, not in I, now, now, the things I just said are words, are they not? They are words, but they are describing reality of a person who is now on high interceding so that we not only would, would, would escape the wrath to come, but so much more that we will be raised again in newness of life. We've been raised again from, from, to, to no longer serve dead idols, but that's just a foretaste of the ultimate resurrection when, we will rece- when, when this present um, curtain will go away, this present flesh will go away, and we will receive spiritual flesh. We will be in a new heavens and a new earth, no, under, no longer under wrath and condemnation. And this is an amazing reality that the that Thessalonians have been exposed to, and it's the reason why, even though they're this small, beleaguered um, uh, religion within this uh, this great city that they can have confidence, they can have joy and affliction, that they can have that they that the report of their faith comes to all, that they receive the word not because they're they're great, but because God is great, and they're able to to turn from idols to serve the living God. And so that's our our prayer for each of you that that as that we as elders or that we who are mature in Christ would, for your sake, know, that you would come to know these things. This is what hope of Christ should, does and should ultimately exist for, that we are confident of the, the, the word of God that testifies of what the Son of God has done for us to free us from dead idols to serve the living God, and that we are confident in Christ that we have been set free from sin and death and that we will be resurrected and we're bringing others into that reality. We're bringing others into that love and we're, we're, we're continuing to expand and, and to show the love of Christ to others to serve the community, but then ultimately to bring people into our community, into our family so that they might turn from dead things to serve the living uh, Christ with us and to be raised again, not only spiritually, but ultimately in the new heavens and new earth. Let us pray. Our Father, our God, we thank you for your word that testifies of these great things that uh, this church in the uh, first century did as they turned from dead idols. And we ask that you would remind us again of the glory and the wonder it is to be a Christian. We thank you for the testimony of our own um, faith that is here that we, we often feel um, not worthy to uh, repeat because we want to look only at our faults, but Lord, you look beyond those things and, and you see in us the things that you were doing because you know our sin well and you rejoice over the work that you are doing in us and you are proud of us as, our, as, as, as we, your children, uh, walk and do do new things every day that are empowered by your spirit. 
And so help us to continue to have joy in these things. Help us to be those who can be imitated by others as we follow Christ. Help us to be those who can be imitated by our own children. Help us to be uh, testifying uh, of these things to them. And Father, uh, help us especially to walk and to continue to press forward as we are in, in much affliction not with a not with a kind of uh, a shallow or a facile joy that just kind of smiles at things that are really terrible, but with an ultimate eternal joy, knowing that you um, have delivered us from dead things, from dead idols, to serve the living God. And so that is why, under great affliction, we can serve you with joy and continue to to proclaim the gospel here in Stafford. In Jesus' name, Amen.